With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Right. Hi, welcome to uh, our annual fatigue index, which we do pre-season to chat about the uh, all the pre-season testing and who's replacing James Milner. And I have Jordan Tyra here. How are you, dude? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yourself? It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm very good. Yeah, long time. I really should should look this up when it is, but I reckon it's at least four or five years ago. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been. Um, I've moved around the country a fair bit, so yeah, it would have been. Yeah. Having having listened to your to your pod last week, you really have done you've done the the circuit um, yeah. all over. Um, but give me a, a brief synopsis of the thirty seven clubs you've worked at. <laughs> yeah, so it's been just shy of ten years now in professional football. Um, started at Southampton placement, um, finished that for a year, then went to Barnsley part time. Finished that, went to did my masters, and then joined while I was up in the northwest in Manchester. Joined Blackburn, the ladies' teams, then moved from Blackburn to Liverpool Ladies, which is where I kind of got a lot of stuck in. That's actually the last time we recorded a pod. Um, so yeah, that was really good because that was at the training ground as well. So really, really great experiences, obviously, with with a really cool um time to be in women's football. It was growing, it was growing, and then I jumped back into men's football. So I went to Notts County after that, Lincoln City from there, and then from Lincoln City went into private world for a bit, but then um got a call to go move all the way down to Bournemouth. And then I've recently just left there after just shy of two, two seasons there. So that's where I'm currently right now. I'm still down south on the south coast. Um, but yeah, moved around the country a lot, that's for sure. Awesome. And But just for reference, that was a choice to leave Bournemouth. That's not that's not the uh, uh, obligatory uh, sacking yeah. due to... This is the only reason people get sacked in football is because the manager is shit. So, <laughs> so every, all the other staff get sh- get sh- shafted because yes. because the manager made a mistake. All the chairmen's a dickhead. Yeah. But it's it's very very rarely to do with actual performance of the of the backroom staff. Yeah, very true. We've yeah, all been through it. Yeah, it was choice. So I've joined a, a brilliant company called Football Fitness Federation. Um, now we uh, really basically trying to push collaboration, sharing ideas across sports science and strength and conditioning practitioners across the country, connecting practitioners from different clubs and network meetings, community podcast episodes and all this stuff. So yeah, just trying to share basically a lot of what we're going to discuss today with other practitioners like yourself and other people as well. So yeah, really cool um, company. So if you want to check it out, check it out. Awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, modern 
company that couldn't have existed 20 years ago. No chance, no. Utilising no. the tech, but also the uh, the modern mindset of how people work and, and connecting people and yeah. giving people skills, opportunities to learn, all that kind of awesome stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, do check it out. Football Fitness Federation. Um, so... We're going to talk about this beautiful week of uh, preseason, but before we grab that, one of the things we talked about last time, which I which I think deserves an update, really, is uh, the last time we talked about about off season, um, it was like Lalana was uh, prancing around on yeah. a on a beach pulling yeah. a parachute, probably. Uh, yeah. I don't know how much you've been involved in, but I am quite ex- extensively the uh, off season of of pros and how rapidly that has grown as an industry and i don't know it's i i put it down largely down to instagram myself but yeah uh, but yeah what what are your thoughts on it i think it's only going to increase for sure i think as yeah you hit it on the head i think i think social media is a massive massive part to play in it um i mean i i still myself have a private company which does aim at working with pros and semi-pro lads and it's it's one of them where I think people now realise the value in strength training, sports science, fitness training, and as pros, they just want the best. And sometimes, if you if you've made a real connection with somebody at a club, and then you move clubs or you get transferred or whatever it might be, you might still have that connection. You might just trust that practitioner loads and, and want to do a bit with them in the off season or whatever. But I think the more social media has made it cool if you like you know you you do see it it's glitzed and glammed up and off-season camps in nice sunny beaches and like you say running around with a parachute behind your back it it, it catches the eye because it's different it's new it looks quirky so I think I think a lot of people get suckered into it that way I mean there is some brilliant work getting done um but a lot of players really take take it seriously so they will invest in it um and I think it's going to end up being the norm rather than the you know the opposite of the norm whatever that word would be yeah, <laughs> but, it's, but yeah. it's, it's been dri- it was driven originally by uh that the great driver of all social media FOMO so mm-hmm. that people didn't want somebody did it they thought it was cool it got got a little bit of attention so so then others felt they had to start posting this stuff yeah and gradually and the younger generation they adopted it in gangs that's that's what I see. As soon as the, the the seventeen eighteen year olds got some cash, that they started doing it in groups. So you'll see yeah. you'll see groups collaborating in uh, in Saudi or in yeah. uh, Dubai that have flown out there together. And and instead of a uh, really weirdly, I just list, literally listened to the first ten minutes of a podcast on uh, Jermaine Pennant. Oh yeah, uh, oh unbelievable the stuff he was getting up to. Instead of that, they're doing the opposite and training really, really hard and giving themselves the best chance. Yeah. So uh, we see, like you say, parachutes and boxing and all that kind of uh, stuff. But um, uh, being old, when I first started in the in Premier League '98, we lit players literally treated preseason like uh, a fat camp. Mm. So they yeah. would they would have. The time between seasons was bigger. So they would go away, get fat for two months, and then come in and spend six weeks yeah. losing weight. So they yeah. would try. So it, it was it was a battle that I actually face now with girls, uh, getting them to eat the right foods yes. because they would stop eating for two for two months while you were trying to get them in good shape. They were yeah. working on on energy deficits to get that to change their their body types to yeah. to 
Yeah, so it's it's very different now, and they're coming in. And as as Liverpool fans, you will see the videos this week uh, that some of the lads they're in better shape than they left yeah. before. And and Hendo looks. I, I remember watching. Here's how old I am. Uh, I remember watching Man United play. It was the early stages of Champions League against like a, a Hungarian team, like Poznan or something like that. Oh, yeah, and and it was really noticeable how much leaner the Eastern Europeans, like you could almost see their teeth through mm. their cheeks. Mm. And that, that's not what Premier League players look like in 95. Yeah. They just look like normal humans with more muscular legs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Hendo looks really, really lean. You can see the muscles in his yeah. face. He is yeah. not eating carbs for the yeah. last month. Yeah. To get in this uber shape. Just, just for the photo shoot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness, madness. Uh, so so hopefully we're in, we're, they've had enough rest to, to uh, uh i don't know reconcile the the amount the appropriate amount of freshness they're going to need to start the preseason. yeah what i don't know it'd be interesting to we'll go through specifically the tests that we've had but my thoughts on preseason aren't the same as liverpool's not saying that they're wrong and i'm right in any way but everybody has these different ideas of the it depends around it's usually reverse engineered around match demands game demands yeah. of the manager and stuff yeah we go in really hard, mm. way harder than I would. And and first day lactate testing blows my mind. That this is something that would happen in the nineties. Mm. Um, but we are going in having the players have trained like machines all the way through the off season. So it's not like that's it preseason day one, is it? They're yeah. already coming in really fit, and it's really to to ascertain where they're at. So what what are your thoughts on on their yeah. preseason on on Liverpool, no. What are your thoughts on how you set up preseason in the past, and then we'll yeah. talk about Liverpool's? Are you that person who has everything, the coolest merch, and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints, and coasters all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head in the like the off season's just changed completely. Um and my thoughts are now, like like we've said, it's just pre-established that people are gonna the players are still gonna do work in the off season. It's not go off, rest, don't, you know, put your football boots on, don't put your trainers on, sit on the sofa, sit on a sun lounger. It's not that anymore. I think as we know, a lot of people are doing their work in the off season. So pre-season now, I think when I first started, you know, back at uni, well, I don't even know how long ago it was yet, yeah, 12, 13 years ago. You know, it was like okay, pre-season. You know, you're going to have to ease them in because they've not done anything in the in the, in the off-season. You're going to have to kind of take it slowly, and after like a week or two weeks, then you can really start the hard stuff. You know, you you certainly wouldn't be thinking lactate tests, maximal running tests on the first day because they, they probably haven't done anything for three four weeks. Whereas now, I think I think players in general, and certainly players I've worked with at academy level and first team level and stuff they're happy to crack on through the off season. They'll have a little downtime. They'll have a little time to rest, recuperate mentally, just refresh themselves. 
Um, but then they'll crack on quite hard again. Not not in season levels, but a good level to keep the fitness ticking over and improving. So you're quite comfortable that you know in kind of week one of preseason you can push them relatively hard because they've done the body's ready for it. And I think that's the inevitable stage now where we're probably going to end up with a period of like an off season that's got mini pre-seasons within it where it's pre-pre-season and then one or two weeks of actual rest and the rest is just working hard. So I think that's where Liverpool are now going and that the, as you saw from the videos and, and everyone's got their own little um, video going off and you follow their social medias, they're doing a lot of hard work. So I think Liverpool can kind of rely on the fact that they know their players are following programmes. They're going to be in decent shape. We can go hard from day one and that's probably where they're trying to get some advantages over other teams that might not do that. Um, and I think that's the way it's going to go, isn't it? Like more players just going to do more work over the off season. I think the flip side is then what's the repercussions going to be, uh, and that's where you got to work it out and you balance it finally in terms of workloads and load monitoring and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish. That's a different difficult one to answer anyway. So yeah, I think that's my view on it is that we know players are going to be fit when it comes yeah. to preseason because the work they're going to do in off season. It's tricky. That that might be an important question that people, that fans will have, because this goes out to supporters, Liverpool supporters, but, you know, supporters uh, of, of football teams rather than as to other sports scientists. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the question might be, you hear all the time of uh, managers and players complaining about how much they play mm. and how hard the season is and they need rest. Yet when there's an opportunity to rest... Clubs either take the the team away for um, matches in yeah. in remote countries. Yeah, or they're training really hard on Instagram. So yeah. when when do they actually rest? How much rest do they need? And and do you have any um any, I don't know any thoughts on what do you think is the maximum a player should be can play in a year? Yeah, I, I think it's that's the gold question. I think if anyone can answer that, they'll they'll make a lot of money because it is going to fix well not fix, but it's going to help reduce injuries. And as we know, the, the most successful teams are the teams that keep the best best squad on the pitch throughout the season. So, I, I think in terms of how much football can you play over a year, I think we're seeing with the Premier League and the demands now, and certainly post COVID, when they've had to really squeeze games in when the World Cup came as well and things like that. There is a limit. I definitely think you're starting to see points where teams are just breaking. Um, and, and again, that comes to managerial styles as well. I always come back to, to Leeds with Bielsa when Bielsa first went in at Leeds and the championship happened three, I think it was three years on, on a trot. Um, the, the, the players just, just kind of broke down around January for every time because there's so much football, certainly in the championship as well. So you have got to limit it. And I think with the pre-season period, the beauty is obviously there's a lot of friendlies and you can just rotate squads. Um, again, though, it, it comes down to that question of risk-reward. We know as sports scientists, you want to get all the good hard work done in pre-season. You want to get high-speed running to the high, fast, really intense running to kind of protect the hamstrings in, into the season and get the fitness going, get the lungs going so they're ready to go. But at the same time, like you say, where do you balance that do you want them fresh as a daisy for the first game in the Premier League season? Or do you want them actually kind of in almost in, in like mid-season state where their bodies are just into the into the flow of things? So I think it comes down to what the manager wants and what the club, you know, when they sit down and kind of, you know, the managers and, and managers departments and stuff like that, and they go, right, where do we want to be? 
Um, I think as sports scientists, we want to keep the most players on the pitch as long as possible. Um, but I think, uh, you know, if you t- if I take my sports science head off and put my fan head on, I'm thinking, well, keep your players fit. And we know, we know Liverpool have had issues with players staying fit. So you're kind of going, come on, protect, protect these key players in our, in our team. So tough. Uh, and again, you should have second guess what you're seeing because you know, <laughs> you're watching on the telly and go, surely he needs a rest now. Surely he needs a rest now. But that's pre-season. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's a very busy time for us for sports scientists. You're trying to work all these things out and there's so many variables, especially if you've got to fly, like you said, you've got to go to Asia for a preseason tour, America for a preseason tour, squeeze four games in over a weekend, you know, and meet these demands. It's, it's a lot to take on the body. So I think some, I've gone really long here, so apologies, but I think some clubs now are starting to look at mini breaks within preseason. Um, so they'll, they'll have obviously their off season. They'll come back and start preseason, and they'll have another mini break in between. I think that's where we could see club starts turn more and more towards that because they know they've got you know flying off left, right, centre, and they've got to meet all these high match demands. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it evolves and what that means going into the actual season and where we'll come say February, March time if the players are showing a bit of bit of legginess. But we'll see. Hopefully not. Makes sense. I I, I agree on the the. Um... Uh, like the regen couple of days here, here little mini breaks. Yeah. But I would absolutely, I would put in hard and fast rules into the mini breaks is that um, what you see with when you have wealthy young men that have mini breaks, they're on a fucking private jet off to, off to dehydrate themselves in Dubai <laughs> for two days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to have a mini break, you're sat at home, son, and you're going to get some, some massage in. Otherwise yeah. there's no point doing it. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Right. So into the the testing protocols that we have, I have first of all, everyone's seen these videos. Um there's there's a bunch of funny ones uh of lads lying on floors with uh, uh a little blonde girl going, push harder, 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 go, go, go. Did, have you seen that video and what yes. are they actually doing? So the yeah, I think that'll be part of a wider battery of testing, but a lot of it depends on and a lot of clubs will use this, but essentially you're trying to find out the capacity of a muscle group and the strength of a muscle group. Um and you'll do it throughout the whole body basically. You do groins, quads, you know, hamstrings, calves. You you you're trying to find out, right, where are you? You've you've had a bit of time, you've come back. Um what you will find is in season, you know, if you think probably around, let's say, mid-December when you've got games coming thick and fast, you know, European fixtures, Carabao Cup, FA Cup, you're right in the middle of it. Middle of it. And what you're going to find is that you need you need basically your players to be at their fittest and strongest levels. So it, it will probably drop off at those points, you know, December, those kind of times. Um, so what you might find is you're actually stronger coming back from off-season because you're actually at a point where you're going, cool, you've had a nice rest, you, you're in a position where your muscle has good strength levels, good capacity. What you'll then do is you'll then track that as you go through pre-season, when you start getting the really hard running sessions, when you start doing all sorts, you'll actually find, right, now we're either going to try and get them stronger and then probably when the season kicks in, you'll start to see it just maintained at a level. Um, and then when it gets into the thick of it, things might start to drop off because that's the nature of, of full-time football. So it's testing the capacity and the strength of muscle groups just so we know Right, are they strong enough to, to train first and foremost? They'll have benchmarks for every single player. Obviously, if they're a new player, they've got to establish those benchmarks. So the new signings is somewhere they're going to be establishing that straight away. They probably did a little bit in the medical anyway. Um, but they'll know where the players were when they left. 
end of the end of the season, and then they'll look at where they are now and they'll go, right, yeah, you're bang on, we can crack on, or they'll go, you're miles off here, what have you been doing on the beach? So it's just basically finding out where the players are and then their capacity within the, within their body. So we create profiles for every player at every joint. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this the testing that, that we see in this, uh, the isometric tests, aren't they? So they're basically pu- pushing as hard as they can yeah. at a fixed joint angle against the compression pad, yeah. basically, to explain uh, a pressure pad, yeah. so which, which will be on a computer that, that measures in newtons how, how much force that they can apply in that joint angle. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, they will probably would would you reckon they will be looking also at uh, left versus right? Yeah, I think so. Certain, and again, certainly if you if you're somebody with a history of hamstring injuries, you that you're going to probably be really looking at that carefully. If you're somebody who, um, you know, relatively younger, not too much injury, you know, history, they might not worry too much about asymmetry left to right. They might, if there's a big, say, 10% difference between between the two. Again, every club sets their own threshold. Some might have a 15%, some might have a 7%, yeah, et cetera. They, they might go, okay, we just need to try and address that. And they'll try and do that through their strength training and stuff like that. What they will need to make sure, like I say, any injury history, you've got to make sure they're ready. You've got to make sure that left and right are, are, are up there. Certainly, if there's something... Like I say, previous hamstring injuries are a really bad one. You've got to maintain that quite closely and keep a close eye on it. So they definitely will be looking at left to right differences. And, and we're looking at trends as well, aren't we? Yeah. So, so yeah, you, you don't want to go up or it's, it's predicted up or down. If they're going, if they're going up, they want to make sure that that was predicted in the first place. Yeah. And if they're going down, if there's no reason for it, then that becomes a warning as well. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, so, so we're down, constantly. Yeah, you, you're you're in a bad place. <laughs> you need to make sure <laughs> you're on top of that. Yeah. So we we can't. The, so basically, everything is measured. Is it, we're we're at the beginning of these tests, which just measure everything. So we're looking for patterns. We're looking for trends. You're looking for all physiological change adaptations and changes within within that body, so we can see. And hope the idea is you're going to optimize performance, but also you're looking for potential injuries to occur. Um, yeah. We've got so we've been through the isometric testing. What I found interesting was um, what we saw Hendo doing. So there was some um, uh, body fat testing. So how would they go about doing that? So you can do a few few different ways. Most of it is, it, I think most people use skin folds where you're accredited practitioners, practitioners who are doing it a long, long time. They, they mark up certain points on, on the body. So bicep, tricep, subscaps are just behind your shoulder. And then as you saw with Hendo, kind of abdominal region, uh, quads, and they go carved as well, things like that. So you just basically you're just pinching the skin. So, you know, you can see on the camera, you pinch the skin in there, little calipers, uh, and it'll kind of give you a reading um, of how much body fat there is under the skin. Um a lot of other clubs with lots of money, they use things called DEXA scans as well. So they'll, it's basically an MRI scanner and they can see how much body fat's in there. Now we want to know that because basically these are peak, these are peak elite athletes. Like they are top of the game. So if they're carrying excess weight, you know, that isn't lean muscle mass, then that's essentially, you know, adding extra load to joints. It's carrying around weight on the pitch that they probably don't need to be carrying. So if they're a trainer, isn't yeah, it's not, you know, you, you've got to make sure if you've got somebody coming back and reporting for training day one. And and like you say, in the olden days, it was fat camp. You know, it was you've clearly had a great off season. Right. Let's get all that excess body fat that you've just piled on for the last two, you know, two, three, four, five weeks, whatever it was. 
Now you come back, we've got to get rid of that. Now we're seeing with, with you know how lean Henderson was looking, like he's been working hard. So he's almost, you know, you know, you know, I've got no worries about your body fat percentage. You're really lean. Your lean muscle mass is, is excellent. Not current carrying excess body fat. You're ready to train. Um, you, you find it's different for different positions as well. Goalkeepers, obviously, they're not, even though if ever you've watched a goalkeeper training session or, or had to take part in it, you'll know that they're horrible in terms of the, the, the workload on it, but it's not the same in terms of what a central midfielder is going to be doing up and down, up and down the pitch. So, Goalkeepers do have a very different body profile anyway. You know, typically they're much taller. Um, typically clubs have a, have a higher threshold for, for goalkeepers. So they won't be like, oh, you need to hit under this threshold. Um, GKs te- tend to be, you know, an exemption, but with, with limits on that. Um, and, and you basically just need to know where players are at if they're ready to go or if they're going to need, like you say, fat club, um, an extra spin session to try and bring that body fat percentage down. Calvin Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the, and the, the goalkeeper thing you talk about is like, because it's, it, it's, there is much less of a, what we call a metabolic cost. So they use less calories. Mm-hmm. So if you're having to drag a trailer of your fat around the pitch with you, the, the energy cost is much higher. So exactly. you need more energy, which you're using. Um, and so you're going to, you, you're going to get tired more quickly. But as a keeper, you're doing 4K wandering around the pitch. It's all about, uh, power. It's repeat yeah. power, isn't it? It's just repeat jumps. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, it's not quite the same. Um, right. We, the other weird thing that I, I that blew my mind a little bit that they're still using it. FMS. Did you see the FMS boards? I did. I did. did. did you, were you using it at Bournemouth? No, we used our own version. Um, we do in the academy. Um, we used, I uh, basically uh, adapted. FMS movement screen, we just called it. Um, that weirdly, we use superheroes. Funny that, yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's I've I've got pros and cons to it. I've used it in the past at previous clubs. Um, I think when you've got lots of staff like Liverpool first team have, and you can have multiple stations for multiple players, multiple eyes on a body, you can make it work. Um, when you've got less staff and you've not got an army behind you, and you've got one player and you've got you know all that time. To, to, to try and get through all these tests it takes a long, long time. But essentially what FMS is, is, is basically looking at movement competency. So basic movements where players are going to be able to, for example, lift their knee up and over and have range to extend over um, and make sure they've got kind of good movement and range around the hips, around the groins, around, you know, upper body, shoulders and scaps. Certainly for goalkeepers, obviously really important there. Um, it's, yeah, it's been used a lot. Um, like I say, it can be quite time consuming, but essentially what we're trying to see there is just how good players' movements are, you know, essential movements like squats, lunges, hinge movements, which anyone who's been in a gym, RDLs and, and Romanian deadlifts and things like that. So we need to know players can perform those well so we can strengthen those muscle groups. If your FMS is rubbish, so if you can't move very well, your gym sessions and things like that, obviously going to have to try and address that before you can even think about getting strong and powerful. So that's, that's why we do it as practitioners. Um, yeah, just a bit surprised to see that the old old school FMS was still there. But hey, uh, you got got a lot of staff behind you. You can, I suppose. Yeah. It, so so history for for um, listeners that is that FMS used to be it was a very very highly publicised, well marketed brand um, of a set of seven exercises, maybe nine. I think it was. Yeah, uh, I think it was nine. Yeah, nine of them as well, actually. Yeah. Nine. Um, and it, they ba- it was marketed around um, the you get a score for each of these movements, and if you don't hit a set 
number on this score, then you are a, a disabled person and you're going to get injured basically. Yeah. And it's been totally debunked as bullshit, but like with lots of these training things, like I, I use um, power plate. Like, okay. do you remember the power yeah, plate? It's yeah. like vibration plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sold originally as a weight loss tool, but I use it all the time for stretching. Yeah. Like it's brilliant for actually yeah. getting get an end of range stretching stuff. So yeah. with FMS, I can see how a movement screen rather than the actual FMS, mm-hmm. how you can use it as a training tool to uh, so you can target movement patterns mm. rather than I don't think it's predictive for injury. And I, I bet Liverpool aren't using it. It's probably just a, a grand, grandfathered in from previous established. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Testing protocols. Right. Um, uh so there was some stuff where you saw Fab and um, I think, oh, uh, Virgil was doing it, dropping off a box and jumping in the air. What's that about? That's looking at reactive power, basically, how how quickly you can produce force and how much force you can produce. You know, for I think certainly for, for Virgil, like he needs to be able to produce a lot of force quickly to get off the ground and win his head, as obviously saying for Fab as well. So basically, we, we you've got to know um if you can produce force you know if you can push a boulder up a rock a boulder up a rock a boulder up a hill um you know then you're producing lots of force which is great but if you can push that boulder throw it. Up the hill, can you throw it up the hill yeah exactly if you can get it right up there really quickly then you, you're going to do it quicker you're going to be more efficient you're going to be able to do more you know and, and that's the key it's brilliant if you can produce loads of force fantastic as a strength and conditioning coach you're buzzing when you see your players being able to lift lots of weight and, you know, have great strength about them. That's amazing. But unfortunately, football is such an explosive sport. doesn't cross over that well. We, you know, we're not slow, you know, pushing things. It's not rugby. It's not like a scrum. Um, so we need to be able, as footballers, you need to be able to produce force very quickly and a lot of force. And those tests where you're, you're stepping off, hitting the ground, so you produce, you've got a lot of force going through you straight away when you're hitting the ground, you then need to react and push off and jump again off the ground. So that's looking at multiple things there. And what you find is you get some people who have a jump profile who can produce loads of force, but they take a long time off the floor to do that. And they'll, they'll jump slowly, if that makes any sense. Um, and you'll find some players that are like lightning. They'll just hit the floor and bounce again. They're springy, they're reactive. And they're the ones usually you want to kind of have because you're like, oh, what nice. So quick, produce lots of force and produce that force really quickly. That's really important. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah. So, so we, we, we like to see that they're springy and yeah. elastic. 
I, I, I like to use the, um, I, I explain RSI, reactive strength index, the thing that they're measuring from, mm. from doing a drop jump with, um, you can, you can be this strong, but how can you use that strength? That's it. So how do you, how do you turn that power you're producing into speed and output? How, yeah. how quickly can you access that muscle? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit like that. Uh, I was surprised by how relatively poor. They were at getting off the floor. They were quick getting off the floor, but yeah. neither of them got very high. No, yeah, um, yeah. So, so just for reference, if anybody has uh, an act, or or you can, you can, we used to measure this stuff. So we do a what's called a counter movement jump, uh, which is basically you're standing still and then you bend a little bit and jump in the air. You, a lot of people have done this in PE where they do a vertical leap. Yeah. That's basically it. Right. Um, hit something as high as they can up in the air, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you want to measure this or do it with a kid, you literally stand still, reach up, put a chalk mark on the on the wall, and then jump as high as you can, leave a chalk mark as far away, and you measure the difference. Yeah. Um, and if you get it above 30 centimeters, good job. If you didn't, you're a wuss, and you need to go and get some <laughs> Uh, um and and that's kind of it and and these boys were weren't much higher than that and like good like you see in nba players mm. that that are getting like 45 inches so they're getting like over 90 centimeters yeah. and and our boys are around i think that looking at looking at the squat rack in yeah. and looking at the box they're stepping off 25 30 centimeters at most yeah. which is really not that high yeah it, it's it's funny actually you do see it sometimes i mean you've got some players who are just unbelievable on a pitch and sometimes physically they're not actually outstanding yeah um, and but then you do get those freaks don't you who physically are you just like wow and as us as you know fitness coaches strength and conditioning coaches physical performance coaches, whatever you want to call us they're the players you get really excited by and you're going, oh, wow, he's amazing. Look how fast he's running. Look how much he's running. Look how good he is at the gym. And then the manager might turn around and go, yeah, but I don't trust him. He's not you know, delivering on the pitch. And then yeah, yeah. you suddenly realise, oh, actually, it's what they do on the pitch. So it is funny. Um, and, and you do, like, I think you're right. Other sports sometimes put football to shame. <laughs> you know, you, you rugby players, some of the the numbers they can produce on tests and you're going, whoa, rugby sevens players, especially uh, even M- you know, NBA, like you say, the jumps, the heights they can produce from, you know, six foot seven, seven foot guys, you're going blooming heck. So yeah, sometimes your footballers do look a little bit, um, yeah, like you said, look a little like a wuss sometimes with some of their jumps. I, I have, I have a 15 year old tennis player uh, and he's at 57 centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Boy, and it's just like yeah. jump. He can hop over the net in the middle. It's absurd. Yeah, yeah. but he just gets these springy guys, and you're going to take Virgil every time, and you it just it just. It's not a criticism. One of the other things you that really just that you were saying that you get some lads who are brilliant on a pitch that don't do it in a gym. Mm-hmm. There is also a level of intent. So you get you very often you get the, like the tryhards who are brilliant at testing, and yeah. others you can see how Virgil can't be asked. I'm not really going to try my hardest yeah. here because it doesn't really matter. And and in all and in all fairness, I've I've lived through this. I'm sure you have too. When you have this massive battery of tests in two days, they know what's coming. Yeah. Right. I'm saving it. When you do lactate test in the afternoon, fucking hell. Like. Yeah. They're they're not going to bust their nuts in the morning. No. Yeah. It, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because you're thinking right. It, it, the theory is there. You're thinking like they've had loads of rest. Done their off-season program if they had one, 
you know, they're ready to go. They should be fresh. We're going to do the jumps. And then you look at the jump scores or whatever test it might be that's like that in the gym-based stuff. And you go, oh, they're not, not jumping very high. What, what, why are they the, the, the rubbish? And you would forget, oh, because mentally they were preparing for the horrible lactate test or a horrible running test at the end. They're just not fully switched. They, they know what's coming. And you see it most summers. Yeah, they know there's going to be some running involved. I'm going to focus everything on that because it, it just feels physically harder and more demanding, as you know. So, yeah, and then funny enough, you'll do the, the jump tests four days later when they've got the running test out of the way and all of a sudden all the scores are shut up and you're going, oh, so actually you're not, you know, panic over. They're not all weak and injured. Yeah. They actually just weren't, weren't focusing on it. So, yeah. That's why you could create a battery for a profile for every player. So you have, yeah. with, like, and it's not just they always hit, they, they have to hit this number. It, you create a bandwidth of yeah. what's normal for each of them. Yeah, and then you only, you only get worried when they drop below that bandwidth. Yeah. Um, we're going to jump onto the lactate in one second. Do you think that they did any tests that we haven't seen on the on the video? I don't know why, but I would have done other tests that they don't have. Um, yeah, again, you could do, I didn't see any sprint, maximal sprints. Um, now, again, some I know some first teams that do, some first teams that don't. Um, again, the injury risk, you could say, first two days back, I don't know what sprint exposure they've had in their off season if they're not used to sprinting and then you go in like loads of tests, then a maximal sprint could be some sort of injury. It's not going to take the risk. I know some clubs, they just go, no, we're going to sprint test. We want to know where where their max speeds are because sprint testing is something we have to regularly do throughout the season anyway. Um, we have to prepare players to be able to sprint fast consistently because we know the speeds of the Premier League now are just increasing year on year on year on year. So players have to be able to keep up with that. So we do that throughout the season. We need to know then if at pre-season level, I mean, in my mind anyway, you need to know, right, are they actually at that level yet? Can we sprint them yet? Or do we need to build them up to it? So again, they might have done it, but not been on the camera. Um, or it might be in a couple of days. It might be in a couple of days. Yeah, my my theory would be they're going to build in, have the first week of get get under the belt, um, and then they'll probably do some max max sprinting, and they might they, they they could do it the light gates, they could do it timed wise, or they could do it off the GPS and and the pods and, and find out you know if it's uh, max speed that way um, and kind of meters per second rather than timed. Um, yeah. But I think that'll probably come in at some point. They'll know that because we want to, we maintain and we keep an eye on max speeds throughout the season. And so they'll definitely do it at some point. That's, that's my thing. We, we, we tend to do uh rolling 10, flying 10s. Uh, and then we'll do a, th- a flying 30 as well to get yeah. and find that peak velocity in there as well. Um, and there wasn't, there didn't seem to be any kind of agility testing, which we would, we would yeah. test for. And, and, and I don't know whether you have it, but we, you can't really test agility. You just have a set way of, just to kind of get a number for it, if anything. I I have a specific test that I use that I'm not saying is perfect in any way, but it kind of just gets some kind of change of direction in there. And and the more expensive, the richer clubs will have some force plates on the floor where they turn to look at the how the strategy of somebody putting their foot down on those tests. I don't know. Yeah, agility testing is such a a grey area because... You know, how do you measure it? You know, it, it, what you find, if anyone remembers back in PE or if there's younger listeners doing GCSEP that talk about Illinois agility tests and all these different, different ones and things, you might remember going through them in, in PE and, and thinking this is a weird test. But typically what you find with change of direction tests or agility tests, which one you're going to look at is the fastest players have the best scores because there is an element of speed involved. You, you change your direction, you're sprinting. So that's usually what happens. So yeah. Um, 
I, uh, quite a lot of clubs we've not used them or we've used them just to get players used to the testing and getting them again just to get some sprint exposure or whatever it might be but we don't necessarily use that data you know and don't hang our hat on it because we know the test can be a bit flawed and, and things like that so yeah it'd be interesting to see if they do use the, the force plate one because um, that would tie in quite nicely kind of to that when we talk about RSI and peak power and being really powerful you know, you might find that you might have some players who've come back and they've not done any sort of reactive work and short, sharp change of direction and they're a bit sluggish off the floor and slow in change of direction. So, yeah, stuff with force players, I think, could be could be quite useful. They might they might go down that route, yeah. Um, right, on to the, the granddaddy of all tests, yeah. the Liverpool's lactate test, which uh, if you want to... Do you, do you know... Have you seen the protocol... I haven't um, seen their exact protocol. I just see, I just see James Milner winning every year. Um, so the James Milner test. So yeah. So they set up with it. It's a twelve hundred meter uh, yeah. uh, circuit, and then they'll. I think they add. Oh man, I should have looked this up. I think it's it's something similar. It's something like forty six meters each. Oh. The idea is they go up two kilometers. So you actually have seen some of the lads do it on a treadmill. Because uh, it's really yeah. easy to, yeah. it's much yeah. easier to do it on treadmill. But once they get outside in groups, the one, the, so Gakpo was doing it on treadmill, and then when as, uh, and the, there's a whole bunch doing it outside in groups. Uh, so they set up with, uh, they cone out twelve hundred meters with a, the um, the shallowest curve possible. So yeah. it's so they're not putting any strain on from change of direction at all. Um, they do this big 1200 meter loop and there will be cones every 50 meters uh, and every third set of cones there there is a whistle so that they have to be at that cone by that time just to modify their speed. So uh, they start out at eight kilometers and every lap um, there'll be a set time in between yeah. each lap and every lap increases the speed. And so it shortens the duration between those cones. So it increases their speed. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are they testing for? So for there, they're basically testing, as you can imagine, they're testing, well, in layman's terms, how fit they are, essentially. What is going on in their body? Where, what levels can they push their body to? Um, and multiple clubs are different different setups you know it doesn't have to be that exact setup like you said a lot of clubs will do it similar way i know at bournemouth we use 1600 meters and things like this um it's basically trying to find what your body's response to is your running um and that's why they take the blood sample because they want to see your lactate level um from the response to that exercise and running hard and fast and how how hard your body's had to work to produce those levels um so what is lactate say again what is lactate? The lactate is basically the byproduct of your muscles having to work really hard. This is layman's terms. Um, what you will do is you'll burn through energy systems, you'll burn through oxygen, you'll basically get your muscles to work really, really hard. Uh, and then your body's going to get to a horrible stage where anyone who's felt that you've been for a run, and it's like now this is really kicking in. Some people call it hitting the wall, all that sort of stuff. Um, and basically what's happening is your, your body is just producing this lactate. It's basically becoming a bit more... You, that feeling in there, you know, this is hard work, this is hard work, this is hard work. As the players are getting faster, as they're getting, you know, faster, faster, faster going around, those lactate levels are going to rise. Once they finish the test, they're going to take, they're going to take the lactate levels and going to have a look at, at where players are. So you want players who can work really, really hard for long endurance periods and fast, and their body's response is really good. If you find 
You know, you start really fast and sometimes you see it. They were flying at the blocks in the other tests, for example. They run really fast. You go, wow, it's really fast. And they blow up after a couple of minutes uh, and the body's spent. They've used everything they've got. What you want is players that can do that nice blend of both. So, um, I mean, that's why I actually always says James Milner is a brilliant example for any pro, any young pro, because the guy was just a machine and he could just keep on going. So, yeah, um, you're going to you're going to reveal the winners now that he's he's left. But you know, it'd be interesting to see who can take his mantle and keep it consistently because it is a horrible test. If anyone's gone through it, you can see. You I mean you saw the video, um, and you saw, you saw uh, McAllister coming off with his trainers in his hands and his boots, and he is dripping. So he was right at the back of their group as well. He looked yeah, like he, I think it's going to be really interesting to see him. I know I'm going off a complete tangent here, but you know, different play styles, different things, how, and this is the thing with, you know, if you remember back when Klopp first arrived at Liverpool, everyone was about, you know, heavy metal football and press, 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 press. Physically, very, very demanding. Now we know it's it's evolved a little bit over the years, but again, different play styles have different demands on the body. So that's why every club has their own, you know, battery of testing because they want to know what they can, those players can do for that style of football. So for new signings, you know, like Alexis, then obviously it's going to be a case of, is can he adapt to our football? Can he adapt to our style of play? So it's going to be interesting to see how he does adapt and what his, you know, I'd love to know his scores from the session. I'd love to, I would love to know. So yeah, but that's a very long winded answer. So apologies again. Yeah. I, I find it really interesting because I'm not sure that, that this lactate test actually aligns with our game, our game demands. And I'm not sure if being good at this lactate test means you can do the things we require yeah. on, on a pitch really well. Yeah. The of all the midfielders in the league last season, the McAllister was top three of uh pressers and uh like high of the pitch ball, uh, yeah. um ball recoveries, which looks really good. He he had he had well within uh, the top five of, of total distance covered and high speed distance. Maybe he, so maybe he was missing something, but he wasn't very good at the lactate test relative to the other lads. Yeah. The other much bigger lads, some of them as well. Mm. And then, uh, the winners are, uh, Mo, Mo one of one group in, uh, he got up to 20 kilometers an hour, uh, cause that's what you measure in speed. And, uh, Zobo got, um, 20.2, which is, so he, he would have got two, uh, cones further than Mo. Oh, yeah. Um, and he looked fresh as a daisy when he finished as well. And he, he loved that work. And, and he looks like a monster because you get we, this publicly available, um, uh, physical movement, um, data from Germany. So you see how much, yeah, uh, all that stuff that, that you would get working in the Premier League is publicly available in Germany. We don't do that in the Premier no. League. So you, you, in England, you just get occasional, uh, uh, nuggets in from Sky when they're, when they're trying to create a story around somebody being lazy yeah. or, or, or some English lad being amazing. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with libertyshield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. 
you can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. So he, uh, McAllister looks like he does have the capacity for our thing. Uh, and Brighton were fourth in the league in high speed running and fifth in the league in total distance, while Liverpool were 15th. Mm. So we're getting lad, we're getting a lad that worked in a system that had, that did the thing we supposedly do, but mm. we hadn't been doing. Yeah. So. It might be interesting if you if you trade one of the longer, slower lads for Zobo, who looks like a, just a monster yeah. and is incredibly creative. That's going to be fun to watch, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And that and that, that comes back to again, put my sports science head back on. That comes back to what you tested and what what players do well on certain tests. You know, you might have those players that could just run all day, and like Milner was that exact player. But as we know now. Milner's speeds actually weren't that bad. People thought it was just, you know, he just plodded around, but he could still he could still shift. But as we know, there are players who were just lightning and they can, you know, Mbappe's of the world, Haaland's of the world, Mo Salah's, Salah's of the world. Of the world. Yeah, How interesting yeah. is it that Salah, I, weirdly, we girls football was different. So we just had yeah. a whole bunch of open trials last week. And, and there was this girl who was the fastest. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. She was legitimately the fastest kid I've ever seen. Wow. Uh, and we, we had one of the faster kids we've ever had playing left back and, uh, and she ran past her like she was stood still. Wow. And then th- this is a half pitch sprint from, uh, like chasing a three ball. Nice. This is unbelievable. So, uh, she, she peaked at 10.2. Um, wow. 15. Wow. That is impressive. That is sign so I was asking her after the game, what, um, what, what, what do you do? Have you ever been to athletics? Because I don't know if you're any good at football, but I know you can do this other thing. And, and she's like, yeah, um, well, I don't really like running, but not like track, but um, I do run up fells, and and she she marathon runs up fells. Wow. And, and like having both of those energy systems going at the same time. That's amazing. And Mo winning Mo with the 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 volume of sprints that he puts in and yeah. being able to win the lactate test. Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's really impressive. And and that's and that's it, isn't it? Like sometimes you just get those freaks. You just get those genetic monsters who can do both, who can sprint hard, really fast all day. And I think that's where Mo Salah for me is like irreplaceable at times, as we know. Um, and again, people. You know, the Twitter warriors and everything. But Bato, he's not had this good a season. He's not a good season. He's like, I would keep him my team regardless because of what he offers from a physical standpoint. You know, he, this guy can run all day and he runs past players all day and he's twist players inside out. Like, he, he's, a, he's a machine. So you get those players, like you say, and that comes again back to the, the, the testing that you can do all the testing you want and you can find, oh, he won this test, he won that test. But it comes back to what you can do on the pitch. And so... I think I think McAllister's stats are really interesting going back to him as well because he's clearly somebody looking at the lactate and looking at his his stats on a pitch. 
he's somebody that's probably not set up for that lactate test. And people might look at that and go, oh, he's not going to be fit. He's not fit enough. He's not fit enough. But he's going to be asked to do a different type of work, you know. So, it, it, yeah, this, the testing is really important for us as staff. We, we like to know where players are physically. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what can you produce on a pitch. So, Yeah. And, and, and so one of the underlying targets of doing lactate testing is you're trying to get what historically for the last 10 years has been called uh, the maximum aerobic speed. So of which uh, the training intensity you can set for a player during a, during a, a week of training or whatever. So it might be 5.6 meters bef- before they get tired and you want to yeah. push that up a little bit, but, or, but, or more mod- modern terminology will be critical speed. Yeah. The top end of that, where their body can uh, starts to, create substrates lactate and and it starts to get beyond what they feel comfortable and yeah. and then they they'll get a negative uh outcome from yeah so that's the, really the reason behind it isn't it you're yeah. trying to find those thresholds that you can set e- each individual yeah um at, in training we need to get them beyond this or need to, we need to leave them just below this so we know they, they can sustain this training yeah um one last thing is um I, I just found I didn't I had no idea. I don't know how much you can give away really. Um so generically the the generic thinking behind uh, behind good practice, we, we look at periodized week and game day plus one means this, game day plus two means this, so you'll have a recovery day, active yeah. recovery day, then start to load, all that stuff. This stuff we've talked about on this pod plenty of times, and you can find it if you go and look anywhere on the on the internet, right? But so that's kind of a given in what is good normal practice. And and part of this normal practice is you set up your week around some clubs say two, some clubs say two and a half, maybe even three times match demands in training for your week. Yep. So that might be, let's just say uh, a player, a player is expected to do 10 K in a game and a thousand meters of high speed running during the week. They'll be set up to run two and a half, 25 K and Two and a half thousand meters of high speed running a week is that kind of normal? Yeah, yeah. That's Have you seen Liverpool's thresholds? I haven't. Now intrigued. Actually, go on. In preseason, they're working up to seventy three. They're wow. they're working up to seventy three k a week, mm. and and nine kilometers of high speed running. Wow. And in in season, they're looking at fifty six k a week. week. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's 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 high. This that is enough. way beyond what's normal in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. What you've seen. Yeah. That's 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 beyond. I think. I mean, I'm intrigued because if they can sustain that, then that's taking the Premier League and, and human performance to another level. Um, uh, if they can do that, and again, this is where recovery methods and you know sleep quality and all the the, the monitoring that you know we're trying to do as practitioners um, comes into play because you're trying to edge those one percent. If you can get players fit enough to sustain those levels, you know, injury free, then that's unbelievable. That's that's seriously high though. That is, yeah, yeah, high, high. Uh, well, so in a, I would say so. You got uh, game day plus four, or game day minus three. Mm. What loading would you expect for a typical, like, tough day of the week? Tough day of the week, you know, if, I've seen I've seen some teams match and match you know, what a game would be. Um, if you can go, sorry, my dog's whistling in the background here. <laughs> um, yeah, so typically if you can get 1,000 and a half, you know, 1,500 metres, 2,000 metres of high-speed running, so that's, the, again, the higher threshold speeds. 
that's that's more than a game demands. That's high. So, yeah, you're going to be in a case where that's putting serious demands on the body. So if you're then asking to go to those massive four times in a week, that's that's putting serious strain on the hamstring. So this is it comes back to, like you said, the isometric testing where you're trying to find out the capacity of muscles and the strength of muscles. You need to know that because those muscles are going to go through a serious amount of work. So if you're asking them to do four or five times, you know, game demands, that's that's put in the body. And again, I'm intrigued because I don't think there's going to be many teams that are going to be putting players through those demands. So if it works, then that's that's a whole new kettle of fish. We're, we're looking at something that's not really been done before. If it works, his, so this is this this is historic data. This is I think I think I read it in Forbes. Um, and this was supposedly directly from the club that these are the demands. Like it blew my mind for a start. But uh, so this was what we were doing in 1920. I would expect if you're breaking the paradigm, I would expect paradigm breaking performance in the match. Mm. So not only would we be first, we would be first by a significant amount. Otherwise, why are you breaking the player in the week at that? You, what you're doing is in, definitely you're increasing the, the chances of injury by or the opportunity to be injured. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're reducing the, the I don't know, the, the freshness, the robustness of the muscle tissue yeah. by causing so much stress for a match. If you're not pushing those boundaries in matches. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, it's, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and again, that comes back to when we were saying, Strength testing at the start of the season is sometimes higher than mid-season. That's why. And, and with those training demands, that's going to be, obviously, like you said, just said there, the muscle tissue, it's just constantly in a state of, you know, work, repair, work, repair, work, repair. You're never really going to get that stage where it's actually going above where it was before and it's maintaining, if not dropping. And then a little break, maybe, you know, get the international break and players who might not be called up, they might then get a little rest but again you, you throw in European competition you throw in internationals and then all of a sudden where does that window come for some rest so uh, yeah it's very interesting it's going to be if, if those are the thresholds it's going to be an interesting season and again if they pull it off and the injury bed is is pretty clear throughout the season then hats off fair play that's going to be incredible that, like the, yeah. what, the, what the, the results should hopefully be at the weekend or midweek game you know in, in match performance that could be something really special Players can't live with that. The opposition can't live with that. No, no, that's just, that's just, that'd be like a steam train just for 90 minutes, just wave after wave. Like, you know, like the, the great teams of, of late. I mean, especially you think of Liverpool's best seasons when it Liverpool was... Just, City in their, in their two great yeah. seasons, that kind of yeah. incessant pressure. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It'd be amazing. Dude, um, I, unless there's anything else you wanted to... that that you've seen in this pre-season stuff. Uh, oh, can you quickly talk about, from your experience, the... The physical stresses of that preseason tour and how how you have to adapt to cope with it. Yeah, I think. I mean, you've seen it. Yeah, again, preseason tours are <laughs> they can be great, but at the same time, you people always forget the factor of travel. And I think that's why people say with the Europa League, Europe Conference League, all that stuff, the travel they've got to make takes so much. Out of if you're adapting to different time zones. You know, if your body thinks I should be asleep right now and we're asking you to try and run 10K and, you know, one one and a half kilometers of of high-speed running, that's serious demand on the body. That's going to take a lot longer to recover. So if you're in a pre-season 
tour and then having to play games, you know, you get a lot of fitness work done. If you're training in heat as well, you've got that to add in. So the physical stress of, of pre-season tour is really high, really, really high. A lot of, again, you look on Instagram, you think, oh, it looks lovely. What a lovely background. You know, they've got some nice mountains or, you know, if they go into, you know, America sometimes and doing it in, in you know, in the States, whatever, you think, oh, it looks amazing. That must be great. But you then look look at the videos of them after training and they are just dripping, you know, and, and that's, it's put in serious amount. But this is the whole point of preseason. You put the work in now to be fit for the season, like we say. But I think, Again, it's the way the game's going. It has to follow TV, the media, the commercial side of things. The further you're asking your your teams, whatever squad it is, not just Liverpool, to fly and play in a short space of time, it puts serious demands on the body. And America have to do this really well because it's a huge country and teams fly across you know state lines to play. But they'll tell you that you know if you're playing you know on the other other coast of America and then flying back again, it's really difficult. It is difficult. So if you're then asking you know, players who are used to playing just in one country and never get on a plane and not go to the slightly different parts of Europe and then you ask him to go to Asia and play, that's that's hard. So, yeah, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see. Hopefully, we'll go into the first game of the season with a with a fully fit squad, but there's inevitably, there's always some injuries in, in pre-season. Um, Imagine. You know, we, we theoretically don't have any injured players mm. right now. Mm, like even our long-term players we've got rid of uh, and uh, the couple of youngsters that were that had been injured yeah. uh, Bashetic and Cade both yeah. of them both of them are back actually properly fully training yeah. so um, let's hope we don't break any that's it yeah pre-season like I say it does all the hard work but there is all you, you tread such a fine line because you're pushing you're pushing and pushing and pushing as we know you can. it's quite easy to tip the other way so hey this is why you know, the Liverpool staff have paid the big bucks to try and monitor and predict and, and make sure they're staying on top of the players. But hopefully, fingers crossed, like we've seen it so often now, last couple of seasons, when, when we lose our best players, we're not our best team. And that's that's inevitable. So got to keep everybody fit. And if we're pushing at those thresholds, the fair play, then that'll be, that'll be a hell of a season, hopefully. So and just the last thing, thank you very much for this. Just as a positive for fans listening is... Uh, you can you can kind of forget the James Milner part because he was seven hundred and thirty seven, <laughs> but the top five players in the lactate test each season um, since seventeen eighteen, all of the combined they've missed without uh, the catastrophic uh, injury caused by somebody cropping them assault yeah assault which you can't you know you can't legislate for that no. but from soft tissue injuries in six seasons the top five players whoever that may be combined have missed fewer than 20 games combined. that's impressive that's really impressive being good at the lactate test tends to mean you're robust mm. you have a you have a high capacity for work which which enables you to be prepared for the high demands of our game yeah so given that Zobo just won with the with the highest score of anybody in the last five years um we're Hopefully, this is a good spot. Hopefully, and and again, that's you know what everyone was crying out for, weren't they? Midfielders who are robust enough to last the season, and hopefully, fingers crossed, that's what we've got. So amazing, dude! Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you're welcome. You're uh, welcome. Quickly, do a social media check so people can find you if they care to chat and annoy yeah. you. Like I, I get Twitter's the easiest one, Jordan Tyra ninety two. Um, 
yeah, I'm just boring and retweeting stuff. A lot about cricket at the minute, but if you don't like cricket, sorry about that. a lot of so, cricket fans that listen to this. Yeah, good. So, yeah, um, middle of the ashes. So, obviously, I'm going to be tweeting about that. But, yeah, that's the easiest one. Twitter, find me on there. Amazing. Dude, thank you very much for your no, time. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.